of the cinema <laughs> way to get listeners jazzed up and ready to go you're dave white i'm alonzo duraldi we're both film critics for I, the rap i was having i was having a moment and and we're married i'm over it okay good no i'm not okay i mean that didn't sound right you said we're married and i said i'm over it <laughs> we are married i'll never never get, ever I'll be over never this. get over that <laughs> The trauma will be lasting until I die. <laughs> I'm permanently scarred. <laughs> um, I was having a pre-show moment of like 4.30 p.m. Um, but now I'm here. Yes. I'm here and I'm ready. I'm here to be very good at... Film, film critiquing. It's time for the show Very where we it. review movies. Very good at reviewing movies. Yes. I'm very good at it. Everyone says so. Everyone, everyone says. Everyone who knows my name <laughs> and who doesn't think that I'm a joke <laughs> thinks I'm very good at being a movie critic. Iffy's intro for me of late on Max Film has been to say I'm the world's favorite film critic. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, no. After like two or three other people, you're my favorite film critic. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah. I That that means the world. I'd say on the list, you're like number three or four, but, uh, but you're my favorite after the other people. Okay. I'll, I'll I'll take that I guess. <laughs> I mean, do you think you can ever be Amy Tobin? I'm not. I don't. I, I'm not here. Jay to Hoberman. Do you I'm, think you can ever be? Because oh. if you think you can, then I'll preemptively put you at the top of that list. <laughs> then I'm not even at number three because I know several other critics you would also put ahead of me. <laughs> Let's not even. I, 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 but I don't want to continue this because I'm. I don't. I don't even know if I'm going to be in the top ten now. So let's just move on. No, you're. Listen. I don't want to give any of them a big smooch. So I'm what's number up? number one what's in your up? heart. They're they're they they don't know. Listen, they first of all they don't know who I am. So they don't get to be on the list. You're you're the number one on the list. Thanks. Forever. <laughs> Forever, Evans. <laughs> um, most of the movies are not good uh, anymore. Yeah, well, <laughs> I, I mean, were they ever? I think a majority of them are always not good. Um, I saw... We're just going to get right into it. Okay. Did you introduce us with our names? I did. Stuff? Okay. Yes. We saw the bubble. Let's get Ooh. the worst. Wait, 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 wait. I haven't seen Morbius. No, what's I, worse? I think the bubble might be worse. Is worse than Morbius. I think All it right, might well, be. Let's start with the worst. Yeah. 
then. Let's talk about the bubble. It is the new uh, Judd Apatow. Who uh, do we call it the new Judd Apatow movie? If it feels like Judd Apatow wasn't even there. Well, sadly, yes, because his name's on it. I can't imagine him being on the set of this movie and going, "You guys are doing great. Oh, killing Every, it. We're killing it. Everything we're doing." Makes first of all, the script makes sense. Mm-hmm. Tight. The story is is going to be relevant two years from now when when the movie comes out. Everything that we have put in the script is going to be very funny once the actors decide to make up some dialogue mm-hmm. in in. In classic improv fashion, uh huh, which is absolutely positively clearly what was done here. It would, I'm afraid. So. I can't imagine anything else. Why don't you describe what it is about, uh, who is in it, and all that normal stuff? Okay, so yeah. this is a COVID lockdown comedy. Yeah. Um, and it is about a troop of actors who are sent off to. A hotel in England um, where they can make a a sequel called Cliff Beasts 6. Yeah. And it's like they're like the only production that's up and running. Everything else is shut down. And they have to quarantine for two weeks when they get there. And the whole set is like just one big green screen thing. And they're running around pretending like they're on Everest fleeing dinosaurs. Um, Karen... I'm going to list the cast for you okay, right sure. now. Karen Gillan, Iris Apatow, Pedro Pascal, Leslie Mann, Fred Armisen, David Duchovny, Keegan-Michael Key, uh, I don't know how to say this person's name, Gus Khan. Sure. Uh, Peter Serafinowicz, mm-hmm. Kate McKinnon, Maria Bamford, Veer Das, Maria Bakalova, Rob Delaney... And a funny person. Yes, the film is stolen by one Harry Trevaldwin, who we didn't really know who he was. I, he, he was new to me, went to this film. We'll talk about him in just a moment. Uh, what the hell oh, happened uh, with this? I There are... This is a movie that on paper you think, oh yeah. Oh, of course. Yes. Like this is, this is about what's happening in the world right now. This is about how weird show business is, has been in trying to cope with this situation. You know, I think after the, the imagine video, there was a lot of conversation about like, Oh, what if celebrities don't have anything to contribute? And what if, while we're all stuck at home and they have no one looking at them and taking their picture, it turns out they just don't have any relevance at all whatsoever. <laughs> That's the basis of a comedy. Sure, it could be. The desperation of needing to be making a movie. Yes. Under the most difficult circumstances where... Because it's you, better than not being an If actor. you screw it up, you could actually die. Right. Uh, because in the, in, the, in, the, in the narrative of this film, there's no vaccine yet. Right. And... Yeah, this is like what summer of twenty twenty or something. It's it's, when it's, it's set, meant basically. to be set around that time. Yeah. yeah, it was probably shot last year. Though. Yeah, um, or who knows? Maybe it was shot in the summer of twenty twenty. <laughs> I have no idea when it was shot, and I don't care anymore because yeah. it's awful. There is every 
I'd say 13 minutes. There's a chuckle. There's a thing that happens in this film where you go, <laughs> and then you look at your phone for the next <laughs> 12 minutes because you're so bored out of your mind. This plot doesn't make sense. Now, I know that everyone who has listened to this podcast for any length of time knows that I don't actually care if plots make sense. I'm not that guy who says, you know, this couldn't have happened this way because blah, blah, blah. You know, like I can't, I don't like the baseball stats element of that. Sure. The the film guy on Twitter who's always like, this plot is inconsistent the, the, and the, illogical. And the, the, the honest but this plot is effect. inconsistent and illogical. <laughs> well, and nothing yeah. makes, nothing they set up. When they break that rule later, like 10 minutes later, you have no to, one explains why they're breaking that yeah, rule. You have to follow an internal logic. Like the, there's a whole montage where like everybody shows up and they immediately have to go quarantine for two weeks. And so it's all these people in their rooms having cabin fever, going nuts while they're stuck in their lush hotel room getting room service. Right. Boo hoo. Um, and then they shoot for one day. And at the end of the day, it's like, oh, it turns out the coffee girl tested positive for COVID. So you all have to quarantine again. And they're like, ah. But then the next day, they're all hanging out in the hotel lobby. It's like, right. no, we need it's another. It's the very next scene. We need another yeah. montage yeah. or a two weeks later or something. Give me something that lets me know what, what day of the week it is. Because you just told me you all had to go back into quarantine. But now no one's doing that. Yeah. And this kind yeah. of thing. That's just one example. This kind of thing happens over and over in this film where people set up a a restriction of some sort or an obstacle of some sort and then it disappears. Like the whole, there's a whole thing made about how like they have the hotel to themselves, that they're in lockdown, it's just them. And then suddenly there's a soccer team staying there. And another movie comes along to shoot there. Yeah. After they said, oh, this isn't happening with anyone but us. Yeah. With no explanation as to why. All of this could be forgivable. If it were funny. If it were funny, and it is simply not funny. There are scenes that go on and on forever as the actors, again, tell me there's a written script and I will tell you that you are lying to me. (laughs) There's a lot of flailing going on here. The actors seem to be just grasping to say something, do something funny, Including, as the film goes on, just screaming at each other. Yeah. As the movie progressed, it went from people are talking to people are screaming and there's loud music and there's loud noises. Like, let's just fill the space, (laughs) fill the dead air with noises. And maybe people won't remember that this is supposed to be a comedy and it's just not. Iris Apatow plays a like TikTok influencer who gets cast in the movie because yeah. of her her social media following, which is basically just an excuse to do like these dumb TikTok dance videos right. in the middle of the movie just yeah. because. Oh, it's agony. But there's a guy uh, that we've again we've never seen him before. His name is Harry Trevaldin. Yes, Trevaldwin. 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 He plays a, a production assistant. Yeah. Who. I don't know where he comes from, but he's giving me Patty Harrison energy where, <laughs> where 
you don't know what's about to come out of his mouth. And the look on his face is always completely unnerving and funny. He's making you laugh just by the weird looks he's giving. That is a kind of skill that scene-stealing, actual improv kind of person who knows how to build on a scene as long as it's working. But if it's not working, he knows how to make it funny in spite of itself. And that's what he's doing here. Um, he's about to be on, uh, there's a British show called 10%, All right. which is the UK remake of the French series Call My Agent. Call My Agent. And he's going to be right. on that. And he was in The King, but I don't remember him in it. But yeah, he is, he is operating on a plane of like this character who will do or say things that are completely nonsensical and yet always somehow feel like they're within what the character would do. Yeah. Uh, Maria Bakalova has a few moments where she's kind of funny. Um, and I'm getting nothing from anyone else. No. And it's, it's some it's, of the funniest people working today. It's maddening at you know. first and then it's just sad. And then you feel like giving up. Yeah. It's, it is enervating. Um, I, was making a mental list in my head of the things that I would rather be doing <laughs> than watching it. And I would watch two full hours of the Imagine sing-along video Oof. over this for more entertainment. And, and it would be funnier. <laughs> also, I had what I think was COVID at the beginning of March of 2020. Right. I don't know if it was, but it felt pretty ugly. Yeah. And, of course, there was no test at that time because nothing had even started locking down yet. Right. Yes, Dave, you were, an early, you were ahead of the curve. I was, yeah, you know, you know how I am. Before, uh, before everybody was doing I'm it. I'm like the faith popcorn of disease. <laughs> <laughs> That's a name I haven't heard in a while. Yes. You know, I like to do a callback for you. <laughs> so it keeps this marriage fresh. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Anyway, you um, got sick early. Yeah, and that was more fun. <laughs> you would rather spend three nights sitting, sleeping would, upright in a chair so I that your lungs don't fill with liquid? I spent sleeping upright because my lungs were full of... And, and that was better than this film. Ugh, yeah. But it just goes to show you, some folks watched it and liked it. We know a woman who watched it and also hated it. She went to work, and one of her co-workers said, I also watched it, and said, hey, guess what I watched? I saw this great movie. I saw this great movie. It's real funny. And the woman we know was like, don't say the bubble. Don't say the bubble. Don't say the bubble. And the friend goes, the bubble. <laughs> so, you know what? It, nothing matters. If you watched the bubble and you liked it, great. More power to you. You had a good time. But if you haven't watched the bubble... Spare yourself. <laughs> Sucks. Is it the worst Judd Apatow film that has ever been made? That he's directed? Yeah. I want to say yes. Like, This Is 40 was pretty dire. Yes. But at but least the, it had some pretty funny moments yeah. occasionally from time to time. It had Melissa McCarthy's weird non sequiturs in the principal's office. This was, has, that, was that in This Is 40? Wasn't it? I don't remember. <laughs> <sighs> It might have been. It probably was. Yeah. Listen, just don't do it. 
Don't do the crime. You can't do the time. <laughs> and apparently he's threatening this is 50, which is like, oh, please, no. Don't. 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 Listen, do you know what 50 is? 50 is your legs just start to hurt. <laughs> and then you wind up being like, oh, how long is this movie that I'm going to go see in a movie theater? Oh, it's two and a half hours. Oh, I'll Apple wait. <laughs> I'll wait until the streaming comes, which is why. We're doing a separate standalone episode of Everything Everywhere All at Once. Yes. Because it's two and a half hours long, and if I go to the theater to see it, that's going to be three hours in a chair that I just can't handle. And so you went you went twice. In yes. fact, you loved it so much. And you're going to do a special standalone episode yes. with a guest friend film critic. Yes. Yeah. Um, so we're farming Alonzo out to other... <laughs> To do film reviews now. Uh, yeah, that'll be a little standalone well, LK no special coming along soon. Yeah, um, yeah well, I, I will. The one you thing you can say for the bubble is that it's a it's a brisk two oh six, which for Apatow standards is you know zipped right by, uh, except that it didn't. Uh, just I'm having memories of it now. It's been <laughs> like three days, and I'm just. Uh, <laughs> Is this the first film of twenty two that twenty twenty two that I would refer to as the barf of puke? Because I think this is the barf. Uh, we of may puke. have we may have crossed that threshold. Yeah. yeah, we've hit barf of puke territory. Yeah. Yeah. So Morbius, um, <laughs> which um, wasn't too long, but the thought of it just made me think. No, <laughs> no. I, I will say no. It's a, it's a it's an easy movie to pick on and uh, and there maybe good pick on it maybe, go ahead maybe get down maybe some people on Twitter are doing so with a little excess of relish but it's not good it is not good tell um, me what it's about and what happens and okay everything everything I need all the details all right <clears throat> so this is ostensibly set in the same universe as Venom but Venom doesn't come up Spider Man doesn't come up nothing comes up uh, but it's one of those Sony Marvel movies. Morbius, Michael Morbius is a brilliant doctor. He has had, uh, he's been living with a bone disease, not a bone disease, a blood disease his entire life. He's a brilliant physician. His bones are filled with blood. Yes, no. His blood disease. He's a brilliant physician. Um, he, he, his bones are made of candy because he, he was born in outer space. In Mon Mars. And he, he, he can't do an operation on Earth because his bones will shatter. They're made of candy. <laughs> this, in turn, makes him become a vampire. <laughs> Now, I would see that movie. Now his name in in the galaxy is Vampire Candy, Candy Bones. Bones. <laughs> I would see that movie. No, so okay, so brilliant scientist. He invents uh, artificial blood, um, wins the Nobel Prize for Count it. Count Candy Bones. <laughs> <laughs> I'll shut up now. Thank Talk you. about this bad film. Turns down the Nobel Prize because right. he's so cool. Um, Why does he turn it down? Uh, I forget something about like the medical establishment not taking things seriously or I don't Yeah, know. that Nobel committee. Because, you know, because Jared Leto wants Those. you to know that he's a badass. <laughs> so anyway, he, he goes and gets these vampire bats in South America okay. to do this sort of like off the books experimentation where he's going to graft vampire bat DNA onto his DNA and it's going to like cure him. And it does, but oops. <laughs> Also gives him an appetite for human blood. Sure. 
um, which he tries to stave off with the artificial blood, but apparently every time he chugs the big Capri Sun blood bag of the blue artificial blood, it only, you know, it's less and less effective. Meanwhile, Matt Smith, who is his like super rich best friend with the same blood disease, um, finds out about the experiment. And even though Morbius is like, no, you mustn't. This is, it's a curse. It's a terrible thing I brought upon myself. And he's all like, uh, I want in on that. And so he, he also gives himself a vampire bat DNA. And as opposed to the artificial blood, he's just going to go eat whoever he wants. Because he doesn't care. He's rich. Right. And so Morbius is like, all right, I... Do they, do they, do they indulge that metaphor at all? No. Of course. No. All you right. think they would, but no, yeah, right. they don't. They okay. can't be bothered. Cool. Uh, so then it's all like, all right, Morbius is going to, Morbius has to, has to end him and end himself before, you know, he, uh, also becomes unchecked and, uh, is, you know, sucking all the blood out of Manhattan. All right. I mean, you know, there's a premise here that could be kind of fun. It's your basic mad scientist tampers in God's domain, as they say on Mystery Science Theater. In general, the Marvel movies are at, at least entertaining while you are watching them not this one in general yeah, yeah not this one this one's real dark but not like shadowy gordon willis dark or even the batman dark it's right. just like i can't see what's going on dark um he michael morbius is like even before he goes gets the vampire dna is already given to like shoulder length hair and black ponchos oh, yeah. and uh, black surgical gloves, which I thought, are you kidding me with this? And then as somebody pointed out, they're very popular among tattoo artists and uh, <clears throat> the fetish community. Uh, and so, you know, but it, so it's like, give him somewhere to go once he goes full, you know, vampire. Instead, Co Coffin Joe. Exactly. Dr. Goff MD. And basically right. all that, all that happens is he goes from being like CG skinny Captain America to buff, you know, Jared Leto body. Sure. Anyway, yeah, it's a big bore. This sounds and, fun, though. Uh, it's, you know, and, and then, of course, they try and, like, tack on these closing credits things to get you all excited about whatever the next thing is going to be. But they are so divorced from the rest of the movie. It's, it's like, Matt Singer's already written a whole piece about this, how it has absolutely nothing to do with anything we've seen up until now. And so it's utterly pointless. Even the closing credits themselves... Jesse Whitehead brought this up on Facebook. You know how in a Marvel movie, the closing credits, like the graphics of it will have something to do with the movie. Like if Generally, it's like if yeah. it's an Iron Man movie, you'll see a bunch of like blueprints and specs for the armor. Or if it's a yeah. Spider-Man movie, it'll be like, you know, right. high school notebook pages with doodles on them or whatever. <laughs> yeah. The Morbius closing credits are just like screensaver, spirograph, generic kind of like, you know, man, Geographic isn't your mind isn't your mind blown? Geometrical doodling. I'm like, you're not. No one's even trying. This you know this is this movie is. It's been you know, it, it they they moved the release date like five times because of the pandemic and everything. And yeah. it's been recut and there's stuff that was in the first trailer that's not there anymore and blah blah blah. But it's okay. just big honk and bore. The only character I found remotely interesting was uh, Adria Arjona plays Dr. Martine Bancroft, who is his like love interest and also fellow MD who helps him out with the crazy experiments. And she's the one character who kind of 
registers as a human being, but everybody else in the movie is just so dull. Well, that sounds great. Mm. That sounds really good. Sorry I missed it. I'm sure you are. I know you're kicking yourself. <laughs> um, all right. Flip of the coin. Since we're going in uh, ascending order. Yes. What did you like better? Death on the Nile or Apollo 10 and a half? <laughs> are you serious? Yeah. Apollo 10 and a half. Okay, well, let's talk about Death on the Nile then. <laughs> are, are they like tied for you? There are no ties <laughs> in my life. I just don't have any interest in ranking things unless it's the bubble and then we know that one is the very worst. Right. No, I don't care for ranking either, but you started this, so, you know. Yeah, you know. Trying to be kind of film Twitter today. <laughs> oh, yes. Ran- I'm ranking things now. Hot takes. Yeah, so what, Death on the Nile. What's my, I'll, I'll rank anything <laughs> for cash. <laughs> Will rank anything for money. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So Death on the Nile is now on Hulu. So we finally, we finally got it. around to watching it. Uh, also, speaking of films that <laughs> at the release date changed a million times because of the pandemic. Uh, this is the second of the Kenneth Branagh, um, Agatha Christie, Hercule Poirot movies. When was it supposed to come out? 2020? 20, maybe even 2019. No, no, no. no. It would have been 2020. You're right. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, 2020, and then... So it's been sitting around. Yes. Okay. I think it was originally... I think if it had come out when it was originally going to come out, it would have still been 20th Century Fox. That's how long it's been. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Uh, So, yeah. So, you know, I don't know if he's doing this intentionally or not, but, you know, the the second... After after Murder on the Orient Express, which was Branagh's first... Not that that was the the not that the seventy four version was the first Poirot movie, but it was kind of the big one that people remember. Yeah. Um. You know. Then the next one after that was Death on the Nile, and so Branagh is following that sequence as well. And um. You know, it's it's another big glossy all star cast: yes. Gal Gadot, Army Hammer, Annette Bening, French and Saunders, uh, Letitia Wright. Um, Sophie Okonedo, Sophie Okonedo, Russell Brand, a lot of <laughs> an interesting mix of people's off-screens lives going. Well, on. yes, okay, so you could play a, a game of bingo with the, <laughs> the cast about. Oh, guess what they guess what that person said. Guess what that person may be dead. Yeah, like everything from I'm an anti-vaxer. I might be a cannibal. Like it doesn't. <laughs> We don't know. I posted the Imagine video. <laughs> yes, I'm responsible for the Imagine video. So, um, the movie. <laughs> yes, let's simply discuss the film. Yes. The, 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 the personal lives of the stars is just too... Exhausting. Exhausting and too deep a... A, a trench. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is... I, li- I think I like this better than Brando's Murder on the Orient Express. Oh, by far. Um, By far, for two reasons. One, the CG in that movie was is distractingly terrible, yeah, pretty bad, and um, and it became boring uh, after a while for me. Mm. And I wasn't interested in who done it by the end of the film. Well, the tricky thing with these Agatha Christie adaptations is that. 
you are forbidden yes. by the estate right. to change the ending. Right. So once you've seen one of these, and you, you can know, futz around with things getting to the ending. Exactly. Yeah. And and even in this case, after the ending. Yes. Uh, in a couple of ways, and I thought I of all the 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 things they added and tossed in and sort of you know put in the mix here, I liked more than I didn't. Yeah. Um. You know, and and I think in some ways they kind of they they enrich some of the character decisions and the 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 dynamic between folks. Um, but even if you've seen like the '70s Death on the Nile, like there's he's taken some license with some stuff, yeah. like like Salome Otterborn, who was you know the psychic played by Angela Lansbury, is now a blues singer played by Sofia Canedo. Right. Um. You know, and and so like there, are, it, it's not. It's not a, a complete sort of lockstep, you know, telling the same story. Uh, but I I felt more convinced that I was on a riverboat than I was on a train for a, for a lot of it. Oh, and I don't think anyone was outside of a soundstage for the entire film. Oh, probably not. There is so much, if you've watched, you sit through the credits, there is so much... Uh, post-production credit of VFX and, you know, Matt this and, yeah. you know. You would think it was an Indiana Jones It movie. was. It, you are convinced by the end of the credits that everyone is just in a room. They, they shot it in the bubble. Basically. Like, you don't even know if the couch they're sitting on is a real <laughs> real couch. <laughs> like, nothing is. I have a feeling nothing was real <laughs> that we were looking at. That boat doesn't exist. But it kind of looked real-ish, mostly, for the most part. Yeah. And so I was happy about that. And I like when Kenneth Branagh is doing that directorial thing he does where, let's take Belfast out of the equation because that was his intimate little personal film. Sure. But in general, he's a fan of this sort of classical stately sort of filmmaking he is not a, a big stylist he is not uh drawing attention to himself as a filmmaker sure and when he does it well he it's it's a pleasurable time way to spend time yeah i mean and this he this is done well and he clearly has uh... A, an affection for this kind of thing. I mean, you have to remember, like, when he started out, he was like, hey, I'm Mr. Hot Young Shakespeare guy. That's correct. And now I'm going to make Dead Again, you yeah. know? So, like, he yeah. clearly likes sort of, you know, big old Hollywood kind of, you know, flourishes. Yeah. And he likes a good sort of tawdry mystery. Yeah. Um, you know, he totally gets this is an all-star cast movie doing all-star cast things. Yes. In all-star cast dresses. You know, and 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 has has a ball with that. Um, yeah, there are good performances. Uh, people you're happy to see, and that when they come on screen, you're again you're happy to see. Them. Oh yeah, like, every time French and Saunders for, showed up, I was like, yeah. When, when Jennifer Saunders and Don French pop into a scene, yeah, they are your old friends, and you're glad they are uh, in this film. Annette Benning basically being the Christine Baranski from the Gilded Age <laughs> in the movie. <laughs> um, so that made me happy. Uh, you know, I never saw the 70s Death on the Nile. 
Oh, you'd like it, I think. So I didn't know how it was going to end. Ah. So that was another, you know, that's, I think they're, that's kind of what they're counting on, frankly. You know, someone who's already in their 50s, who was a kid in the 70s, who never saw the first one. How did that PG movie escape your notice? It seems like it would have been... What year is it from? 78? I guess maybe you were just a little old for the matinee at that point. No, I was still hitting those matinees. But not the kid matinees. Sure. You know, not the children's film I mean, I didn't see it at the time either, weirdly enough. Uh, You know, if we're going to get down the memory rabbit hole here, I lived in Roswell, New Mexico at that time. I don't have a memory of it playing in Roswell, New huh. Mexico. Perhaps it didn't. You know, very small town, very I, few screens. I do remember going to see Murder on the Orient Express with my older siblings when I was yeah. way too young to get it. But I, for some reason, never got around to Death on the Nile. back like, in the day. I saw it like last year. <clears throat> when you lived in a little town, you took what they brought to your no, town. No, I get it. I there get were it. no... There were no video cassettes. No. There was no... Hey, TV. Well, no, there was. You could have HBO in 78, 79. Um, and eventually, after like three years after it was in the theater, it would be on HBO. Right. Um, and that was always a big deal. Mm. You know, I would go to my father's apartment. <laughs> he had HBO. We didn't have it at our home, but my dad had a HBO. So I'd go to his apartment on Fridays or Saturdays and be like, I'm going to watch this movie and this movie and this movie. <laughs> I'm here be for like, the Great, feature I'm going presentation. To work. Yeah. <laughs> and um, but that's how I saw things that I was finally either old enough to see. Mm-hmm. Like I, I watched The Exorcist when I was 13. Mm. Spoiler, I was still too young at 13 <laughs> yeah. to watch The Exorcist. I was so freaked out by that movie. Um, didn't see it again all the way through, because I turned it off halfway through. I was so flipped out. Um, didn't see it again until I was 20. <laughs> yeah. I get it. You were that way with Jaws. I, was, I didn't see Jaws until I was in college. Yeah. I was um, And so, where were we going with this? Oh, yeah. yeah I, don't know if, I don't know if it came to my town or not. It, 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 I don't remember. I don't know why yeah. I didn't see it, but I didn't see it. I did see Evil Under the Sun in the theater. Yeah. But not, uh, not Death on the Nile. This is an enjoyable... Uh, Piece of entertainment. Yeah. It offers nothing more than that. Everything looks good. The cast looks good. The cast is fun to watch, do their stuff. The mystery is fun because you don't, if you're me and you never saw the first one, mm-hmm. you never read any of the books, uh, you don't know who, who the murderer is and you're looking for the clues like you yourself are the detective. <laughs> if you ever wanted an origin story for Poirot's mustache... Branna has written one. <laughs> yes. And Michael Green, I guess, who co-wrote this with him. Uh, so, yeah. So, that, that whew, so glad that got explained. It was keeping me awake nights. It, it meant to hide scars that don't exist on his face, which is a funny uh, what? They, outcome no. at the end. At the end, you see his face. And he, no, he's got, but he's got scars again. Oh, does he? Yeah. So they're minimal. Well, they're, they're, sorry. Michael Green wrote this alone. Branna is not credited as All a right. screenwriter. Um, the, the scarring is minimal. Well, it, but it's also like 15 the, years after The beginning after of the World movie, War you see his face is half torn off. You're right. like, I think you would have more scars than that. I had teenage acne and I still have the scars from that. So, you know, a war, a war blast to the face is probably going to leave you with a little more scarring. But you also have a mustache. Yeah, but it's not to hide anything. 
It's just because I thought it would be kind of fun to have a mustache. Yeah. Turns out, I look real good. You look real good with a mustache. <laughs> um, Apollo ten and a half. What was I going to say next? I don't even remember. Uh, Apollo ten and a half, the new film from Richard Linklater. Yes, it dropped. It plopped onto Netflix. Which you weekend. would be forgiven for not knowing that because Netflix they, has barely promoted this yeah. thing. Like I've heard so much more about the bubble, which also plopped on April Fool's Day, than Apollo Ten and a Half, which is great. Um, this is uh, it's it's Linklater's third animated feature, uh, but it doesn't look like Waking Life or Scanner Darkly. Both Waking Dark, Waking Life, and Scanner Darkly are rotoscoped and i think this is probably as this well this is as well <clears throat> but those two earlier films have a more abstract visual sense yeah uh a lot more a lot a lot trippier and and and, and meant to be yes intentionally this so. is softer uh, this is softer it is uh more straightforward um and occasionally for me to its detriment um the 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 animated faces of people uh are not quite as expressive as i was hoping that they would be in moments that are meant to be more expressive we wind up relying a lot on jack black's narration mm. because the entire film is jack black as the adult version of the main kid in the movie guy a kid named stan Jack Black is narrating what happened to him and his family in 1969 in a suburb of Houston where this, the kid Stan's father worked for NASA. Um, and a lot, of the, a lot of the film's emotional content is the result of Jack Black really selling a kind of wistfulness that sometimes works and sometimes doesn't. Sometimes he's a little heavy-handed about it. It always worked for me. There's a, there's often a bit of a an overt twinkle in his voice that I found annoying. Christy called it the wonder years of it all. Basically, yeah. Um, so you are in love with this movie. I'm in like okay. with it. Fair enough. And as the film goes on, though... He drops a lot of that, what I considered sort of affectation. Mm -hmm. And it's just sort of telling you Straightforward. what, straightforwardly what happens. Um, and then the ending is actually lovely. Yeah. Uh, so it gets, kids, it gets better. <laughs> it gets, the film, I wasn't fully on board when it started. For 10 minutes in, I thought, is this the way it's going to be? Like, <laughs> Are we going to be like, mm, country time lemonade? I remember back, my grandpappy used to make lemonade on the porch. Like, I I thought, are we gonna, is this how it's going to be? Um, but he, he eases up on the throttle of sure. that. And by the end of it, it's it's not selling itself so hard. Yeah. Uh, it is about a kid who, as I said, lives in the Houston suburbs with his mother, his father who works for NASA, uh, and his five brothers and sisters, 
and just the stuff they did in 19 the stuff they did in 1969 there's ostensibly a plot involving nasa coming to the kid and recruiting and saying, him to take a secret moon mission we're, we're putting we're secretly put a put a child in space <laughs> to test the water for the actual astronauts yeah and this, uh, of course never happened and they spend long times of the movie forgetting they even brought that up and then they come back to and it and they come back to it and you would be forgiven for halfway thinking to yourself, wait, did NASA do this? <laughs> and, then you, and then you, 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 the film makes a very good uh, 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 fusion of these two narratives. The, yes. The, I was a child astronaut and I was just a child in this, this place where it felt like the future was going to be miraculous. Yes. It felt like the future was going to be you know, outer space homes and a bright future and the Clean Air Act and the Clean Water Act are going to take care of the pollution problem. Limitless potential because of science. Everything was going to be about science and it was going to be great. And the kid believes this. He believes it so strongly that he imagines an outcome for himself as part of this world. And yet that outcome is... He's a child astronaut. But they present it so matter-of-factly right. as though it really happened that if you, 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 if you were, like me, five, <laughs> when all of this action was going down, you'd think, wait, is this something that's been a secret that I haven't heard about? <laughs> Can I get a Answer, Freedom of Information Act on this? Answer, no. Uh, but, um, you know, here's the thing, though. If this is a movie, if this is Linklater's, like, you know, Amarcord or Radio Days or, yes. or Crooklyn or whatever, yeah. then what we're also getting in all of this is kind of the birth of a yarn spinner. Like, yes. the, 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 like the kid is going to tell you the story. And he story. introduces himself at the beginning as a very good liar. Yes. He can make up a story and, and sometimes people will believe it. Exactly. Yeah. And so this is sort of that talent writ large yes. over the course of the film and gives you an idea of like, this is a kid who's going to create narratives for himself and other people that are, and that's what's going to get him through life. It is incredibly pop culture self-indulgent um, in a way that will either charm you or irritate you. Yes. I was charmed by it because this film is tailor-made for the very, very youngest baby boomers or the very, very oldest Gen Xers. Yes. <clears throat> um, Again, I was five when this stuff all went down. If you were born between 1958 and 1968, stop this show right now and go watch you it. Will, you yeah. will love it. And so the I have a very fuzzy memory of 1969. You know, um, I remember watching the moon landing. Mm -hmm. Did I watch it in real time? Did I watch it the next day? I don't know. I was five. Did I care? Also, not much. I, when you were five, you just think, oh, well, that's what we that's do. That's the thing we do. We yeah. go to the moon. And he addresses this uh, narratively. Yes. He's like, we were watching all these things on TV, and we just thought, well, that's just what grownups do. Yeah, Vietnam. Grownups act like this. Riots, whatever yeah. it was. That's just And and me, so we went off to the arcade. And yeah. you know, with me, I went off to my room to read a, a book or, you know, go outside and play with my brothers. Um, there's something really beautiful over the closing credits that might escape you 
if you are not already tuned in to the music of Daniel Johnston. Daniel Johnston was a singer-songwriter from uh, Austin. And he uh, was an, a brilliant genius songwriter who uh, also suffered from uh, very difficult, uh, a very difficult life uh, struggling with mental illness. Um, but Richard Linklater clearly loves him and has used Daniel Johnston's songs in his films going all the way back to at least the first before hmm. film. What was the first one? Before Sunrise? Uh, yeah. The first one was Before Sunrise. Uh, there may have even been some in Slacker. I can't remember. but um, Suburbia, maybe? But in, in, in he, he used Daniel Johnston's uh, living life over the closing credits of Before Sunrise. And the very last song over the closing credits of this film is a Daniel Johnston song called Rocket Ship. This, not sung by Daniel Johnston, sung by an Austin musician named Kathy McCarty. Oh. Um, and there, there is a line in the song Rocket Ship that I cannot help but imagine and believe I've already decided that this is true. That this line from the song inspired the film. Because the line in the song is, our home is our rocket ship. And that is exactly what this film is about. This young boy who lives in a, a, a suburban, you know, developing neighborhood and is you know, in, involved in his own imagination to the point where he believes on some level that he doesn't need to watch a man walking on the moon because he's been there already. And everything about his home was pretty nice. Well, I mean, a family loved each other. They took care of each other. They looked out for each other. You know, Houston itself was all new buildings. It was yes. all shiny. It was all... So for this kid, his home was his rocket ship. Mm. And that's a line in the song. It is not possible <laughs> that that didn't influence him writing this script. It has to be the reason why it's the final song of the of the credits. Um, it's a sweet, charming movie. Usually pretty funny. I think sometimes it overplays its hand. But in general, I think it's Really nice. Uh, Richard Linklater has this ability to make you want to hang out with the people in his film. Yes. So often he is, you know, the guy who makes films that people call hangout movies. Right. This is another one of his hangout movies, I think, where people are just doing stuff. Yeah. Nothing, there's no great narrative propelling. Uh, they go this to film. theme parks. They go to the beach. They go to... They go see The Sound of Music with their grandmother over and over <laughs> again. Um, you know, they they go to Astro World. Yeah. They uh, watch movies on television. They listen to records. <laughs> they, they complain about each other. They talk about hippies. The mother, <laughs> you know, scolds the oldest daughter for feeding, you know, what she considers to be a bunch of lies to the... <laughs> Younger brothers and sisters. It's all that, you know. Just like th there's a there's a little moment where they talk about like how 
the mom would make a ham for Sunday dinner and it would stretch out into like every dinner that yeah. week. Yes. You know, it just, just, just yeah, it, it, it just kind of, it's, it is an, it is an exercise in nostalgia and those can be tiresome and those can be pointless. And I think this one feels heartfelt and it's one of those, it is so specific that it's universal. So even if you, like I said before, you know, yes, if you were born in those years, you're going to love this movie. But even if you weren't, I think there is something, that there's something so granular about his memories that are just, it's just fascinating as a look at, here's how some people live. If you, if you came after her, it's all very accurate. Yeah. You know. If you think, oh, they can't have been like this. They no, no, it people was. Did people do these things? I, I, one thing that I think will be surprising to did younger viewers. Did people smoke this much? Yes, they They did. smoked that much. They drank alcohol while they drove cars. <laughs> Children rode in the back of pickup, pickup trucks, trucks, in the beds. And I assume that many of them died doing this. And that is why it became eventually against the law. I guess. You know, kids ran wild through neighborhoods and... Eventually, we learned that that wasn't always especially safe for them either. Uh, parents, if you have a, parents felt felt free to to spank other people's oh, yeah. children. You could hit another person's child, and other and the parents in the neighborhood would be like, "You shouldn't act it up." Yeah, it it is. I don't approve of the kind of we were fine in spite of this stuff or we were fine because of this stuff there's a there's a there's a kind of nostalgia where things that harmed people right in the past are looked at as are looked at really as having been good innocuous or yeah. even good and no they they weren't you know kids did die in the back of those pickups i don't think and i rode be... in the back of that pickup too yeah. with a stepfather who was driving drunk yeah. you know so do I remember it fondly? No, I remember it like, oh man, I didn't die. That's a, what. A, that, how lucky was I? Are you I saying? Didn't that, die. But where where are you categorizing this movie's nostalgia for that stuff? Eh. <laughs> <laughs> He's a little like, you know, we were in peril and we liked it that way. I mean, there's a bit of that. Well, I, I, to me, it is the same as the. Vietnam was on TV, and we just didn't perceive right. it as anything. But if thing you're a child, you don't know any better. Yeah, it's you. But as an adult, you are. And Jack Black does in the narration say, "Yes, we were three seconds away from all being roadkill in the back of that pickup truck." Yeah, but we didn't care. We didn't think about it, and so and, and, let's move on. Right, you know? but you know, I think it's more honest. You could beat a child. I think it's more honest to say that as a nine-year-old, that was okay. And that as a nine-year-old, you weren't thinking about it than to yeah. try and like retroactively apply modern standards to the past, I, which is a thing that you listen, always complain about on Twitter. I do. When, yes. You know, when when the kids see like an episode of Friends and are like, "What?" It's like, well, that's that's what we were doing then. That's what people said I know. then. And, you I know. know. I guess here's what I'm reacting to right now. There are some people on social media who... Well, um, of course. Who you and I have discussed routinely lately who are that kind of... uh, The past was better because everyone was... Knew uh, their place. Everyone knew their place. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm on my guard about that kind of... Nostalgia because sure. it can quickly turn into something that uh, 
It shouldn't. Well, yeah, no, of course. That's that's a longstanding conservative thing. I mean, in uh, in in one of the other Glass Teat books, I forget one of the older like when when uh, Harlan have you, Ellison, have you have you looked in some of those in those Harlan Ellison books? No, yeah, I know. Recently, he's, uh, he's, he's oh my yes yeah. It was of the time. I know it was. But even of the time, he was talking about how Republicans were always sort of fondly reminiscing about this sort of Kansas City Main Street 1910 that never really existed. I know. Um, So, you know, as somebody said on Twitter today, Republicans get mad at entertainment that shows life as it is now and not not the way that they lied about things the way things were 60 years ago. Right. Did you see the it's member? Pretty, pretty good movie, though. Yeah, I, I think it's great. Are you going to talk about the member berries yes. episode of South Park? No, you showed me like three minutes of it, and I thought, I get it. Okay, yeah. So you, That's you the it. joke of the episode, and they're going to do it for 20 more minutes. <laughs> I get it. Yeah. You don't have to see the whole episode. You just have to see that bit. Yes. I did. I saw that bit. Okay, then yeah. you're good. That This film is, is not that. Yes. It is better than that. Yeah. So I liked it. Good. Yeah. Oh, I loved it. We have letters. We do. Daniel. Oh, Daniel wants to talk about the Oscars. Okay. All right, Daniel. We're going to talk about the Oscars again. He says, the Oscars for me was a mixed, uh, mostly terrible bag. (laughs) I think it's also too bad that the slap will almost remove the good things. Troy Kotzer's speech. I was excited because we have watched him in L.A. theater quite a bit, starting in an amazing Deaf West production of Streetcar Named Desire, mm. as well as the lovely presentation by uh, Yoon Yoo Jung, the interaction between Liza Minnelli and Lady Gaga. I love that Gaga is getting so much positive attention for just being a good person. <laughs> Ariana DuBose's speech, and especially Questlove winning for Best Documentary, and I think Amy Schumer had a great line about being the Ricardos. <laughs> also take attention away from some of the truly bad decisions decisions you mentioned on the show, like having dancers in front of the memoriam so you couldn't see the names of the people on the screen. The aftermath of the slap has been interesting. Someone on my Facebook feed posted on and on about it and then said, let's put this to bed. I had to tell him that the best way to put it to bed would be to stop posting about it. <laughs> That's right. I have seen a bit of that of like, you know, let's talk about it, talk about it, talk about it. Oh, can we stop talking about it already? <laughs> Benjamin says, Sorcery's soundtrack to Stunt Rock rules, y'all. I oh. don't I don't disagree. I, I believe you. I was there for the film. I've seen that movie twice. <laughs> Both times. Sorcery. Woman. They bring they bring the rock. They bring the rock. They, they bring it heavy. Karen says, hello, gentlemen. On your recommendation, I finally watched at Medea movie, the aforementioned family reunion. Uh, I th- she means uh, homecoming. Homecoming. Really? Yes. Does she mean homecoming? She does. We talked about it. Okay. You talked to her personally about yes. it? Yes. Okay. So Karen watched Medea's homecoming. Yes. A Medea homecoming. A Medea homecoming. And it was funny. One question I have, are the Medea movies always that full of exposition, <laughs> Karen? Yes. <laughs> yes. They are, and here's why. Well, I'll tell you when you fin- oh, I finish reading the letter. Is that something that maybe is a holdover from his theater work? I just felt like everything was triple explained. It was also interesting to see the exploration of the all sides represented. 
You know you have the uncle who gets deep into, into Black Lives Matter and the discussions from the parents about protecting their children, but then you have one of the characters being a very sympathetic police officer. It was just very, very interesting and a glimpse into a world that I had not explored before. Thank you for the recommendation. Uh, yeah, there's always that amount of exposition because the um, the the internal uh, logic of the Medea universe is not always uh, consistent. And so... I wonder with if anybody has mapped film, out the Brown family. <laughs> I don't know. Probably someone did. With each new film, you have a new wrinkle in who's related to who, who the characters are, where family members who have been in every other movie until now suddenly are, are not. Are not. Why aren't they there? Yeah. Well, no one knows and no one's going to talk about it. <laughs> like, so it doesn't. After a while, you start to realize that it doesn't matter. Yeah, it's a revolving door. Medea's family tree is an orchard, and you're gonna and you're gonna hear about new information, and you're gonna hear it again and again, so that it sticks for this movie and this movie only. <laughs> By the way, um, I, I as a, something I told Karen, which I wanted to mention here as well, uh, we had on Max Maximum Film over on the Maximum Fun Network, another show that I do. Travel Anderson from the Fanti podcast, who is a Tyler Perryologist from way back. And uh, their insights on Medea Homecoming were fascinating. And, and they funny. didn't like it either. They didn't like it. Yeah. We disagreed quite a bit on it, but I get where they're coming from. And they know more about Tyler Perry's oeuvre than I ever will. So uh, I would recommend that if, y'all, if you have not heard that discussion. In yet, general, you should be listening to Fanti because oh, it's for just sure. a really Fun yes. show, but yeah. also, but but do, do check out uh, a Travel's guest appearance on Max Film. Last letter, Shadi says, "I just wanted to remind you that the biggest controversy on the Oscars last week was not Will Smith's ego, but the absence of President Zelensky. Probably because Russia is still a huge market for brain numb American action movies like Morbius. However, tonight even the usual clown show that is the Grammys couldn't ignore the fact that the conflict in Ukraine is quickly turning from war." To an actual genocide with no end in sight. Oh my, I have read some frightening things today on the news mm. about all of this. And it's, you are correct, Johnny. Uh, and the silence of our movie stars, because they don't want their films to be blackballed by authoritarian regimes, is becoming deafening. Well, I will say, not that I ever want to be in the position of defending Hollywood, but uh, most major studio releases of the moment, including Morbius, are not being released in Russia. Like a lot of companies have oh, said, that? yeah, they were not going to open their stuff there. Know about that. As to what their long game is with this sort of thing, I have no idea. Right, right. And, you know, I, I kind of feel for Amy Schumer in that when she was saying, I wanted to get Zelensky on the show, yeah. and she took a lot of heat for it because everybody's like, well, he's busy, you know? Yes. It's, it's kind of a damned if you do, damned if you don't. I mean, yes, there probably should have been some sort of acknowledgement about Ukraine and things that are going on there, but I think having Zelensky on the Oscars, you know, the idiots on the right who were already kissing Putin's ass would have been like, oh, lefty Hollywood, why is he on there when the, he should be, like, you know, overseeing right. blah, blah, blah. Right. And then not having him in there is also a bad thing, so I, I don't know. But, yeah, generally speaking, you know, the Oscars was... Was wrong at, at, at doing anything um, it could be doing. <laughs> yeah. And end, end, end of podcast. Yes. <laughs> end of cinema. End, end of cinema, end of podcast. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, please check out my other podcasts, including the aforementioned Maximum Film, also Breakfast All Day with Christy Lemire. We're over on YouTube as well as a podcast. And... Um, 
Back the Hallmark, where I've been popping in on Mondays to talk to Bran about uh, classic Christmas movies, and he's been making me watch less than classic ones. Um, Terrible can... <laughs> ones. The bad ones. Yes. you can. Bran subscribe. likes the bad ones. The bad, the bad new ones. But he... he embraces the good old ones that I've been showing him for the most part. Right. So that's a good that's thing. fine. And that's what the show should be. <laughs> <laughs> it was Daniel's idea, apparently, to have Brand get to pick To get Brand one. to pick, just to torment you. Exactly. Oh, yes. that, okay. You know what? That's good radio. You know, I'm thinking about it now, and I do approve of that. Sure. Uh, you can subscribe to this show for free at Apple Podcasts. While you're there, leave us a five-star review. We'll read it on the show. You can also leave us positive feedback in all the places that we stream, including Spotify, Stitcher, CastBox, Podbean, TheLounge.com, uh, Google Play, Apple Music, or uh, Amazon Music. Um, thank you, Blue, for our wonderful theme music. He just got featured on a podcast called uh, Soda Jerk out of uh, the UK, where they do long and in-depth conversations with musicians, and uh, he is their musician this week. So uh, if you want to find out more about Blue, go listen to that or visit his Bandcamp page at bleu.bandcamp.com. Uh, follow us at LinoleumCast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Drop us a line at linoleumpodcast at gmail.com. And we'll be back next time with more. Until then, goodbye.